Greetings from Covenant Community of LJ, Georgia. We want to thank you for taking the time to listen to these messages God has provided to our fellowship from His Word. May He bless you richly as you seek Him. We'd like to invite you to be with us in person someday soon. And for information on that, visit us at covenantcommunitylj.com. And now, let's open up God's Word. Isn't that an amazing truth that we just sang? That God's never going to stop coming after us, never going to stop coming to us, never going to stop pursuing us. And man, everything about our human nature and everything in us just wars against that thought. And we give in to religion, we give in to our self-punishment, we give in to pride, we give in to self-righteousness. Man. And we give into so many different things, but that truth, God is never going to stop coming after us, and the cross proves that. And we're going to find our way back to the cross, as I hope we do every week, but as we begin today, wow, we we come from a difficult place. If you've not been with us, uh, we've been through the book of Joshua so far, and we've seen them come out of sort of this paralysis of fear into this activation of faith. And they went in and took Jericho. And it was incredible how it happened. God worked in this powerful way, not the walls down. I mean, big, like double walls of the mound. And this, it's just incredible how God routed the army before they even had to go in. It was incredible. I mean, there's no greater like moment so far for this generation. I mean, they're watching this city just crumble. And, and we get this picture as we watch the people of Israel is this is us going into the abundant life. And that's how we're to read this, I think. God gave us this picture of watching the Israelites go into the promised land. It's a, it's a picture not necessarily of us going into heaven, but going into the victorious, abundant Christian life that Jesus said he came to give us. And, and there's a battle that, that ensues. We are saved by grace through faith, not of works. But when you're going into the abundant life, There is an activation that happens in our lives, a participation that happens in our lives where we can't sit on the couch and we have to go in. What we see is that God fought the battle for them. He guaranteed the victory before they even went in, saying, only be strong and courageous, but do exactly as I tell you. Don't go to the left. Don't go to the right. Do obey the the law. Go in with your eyes on me. I will be strong on your behalf and move you into this promised land. And that's the promise that each of us have. And that's, that's what we get to, to celebrate. But then we move right past the battle of Jericho. And last week, Steve had the difficult task of preaching a very challenging portion of Scripture where we see Ai, one of the soldiers, excuse me, Achan, one of the soldiers, going into Jericho and taking exactly what he should not have taken, what belongs to the Lord. Very clear cut. Very clear at the beginning, Joshua told him he can't take anything out. Everything goes to the Lord that's not destroyed, the silver and the gold. And of course, Achan does, and he hides it. And we see what happens to his family. We see what happens to him. And this is an utter, utter failure. So you go from this, this huge high, what a difference a day makes. I mean... You go from celebrating what happened in Jericho just days earlier. All of Israel is like celebrating and dancing. It was the easiest win any army had ever experienced. And 
they might have sat there wondering, like, is it always going to be this easy? They probably felt incredibly confident. They probably felt a little bit invincible. Uh, and, then, and then came the next battle, the battle of Ai. And it was just a tiny battle, but because Achan took what belonged to the Lord, the blessing of the Lord was not upon them, and they went in and they lost and dozens of families lost men. And they came back into the camp. And they had to explain how they lost what was supposed to be an easy battle. Just a handful went out. Eventually, they dealt with the sin. And, and, and things like that. We understand what happened when they did that. But can you imagine having dealt with that sin? This is the moment. They stoned Achan and his family in this terrible, terrible moment where God's judgment falls on this individual people and the community who was sort of corrupted by what they did. Dozens of families lost men because of what happened. And this Achan and his family lose their lives. And they, they stone him and they pile up a pile of stones. There would have been a mound of stones in the valley of Achor and they could have still smelled the ashes. Can you see it? Can you put yourself there? And you still, smoke's still going up and it's like, where do we go from here? And they're sitting in the valley of Achor, which Achor means trouble. And so here you've got this great nation who God has promised that he's going to move into the promised land. They've heard all these huge promises. They've been told, be strong and courageous. They've been told, everywhere you put your foot, it's going to be victory. But they just experienced defeat. And they are sitting next to a pile of rubble that testifies against them. Stones piled up over this family experiencing loss. It will never go back to the way it was. You can't reverse what happened. It did happen. Those men are not coming home. Achan doesn't get to go on into his future. His story was forever changed. There was a massive, massive ending. This failure ended in incredible pain. And they're sitting there when they were feeling courageous, now feeling incredibly vulnerable. And the heaviness of failure and the heaviness of loss would have weighed on every heart in the camp. Families would never be the same. There wasn't any going back. The circumstances would not be reversed. Failure came at a cost, but what now? Failure came at a cost, but where do we go from here? And that's the question I want to look at from this passage, because as much as God has promised us the victorious Christian life, what we also understand is that failure is a part of our stories as well. I, I sat there looking and listening to Steve's message last week. And I didn't see myself as the righteous person picking up a stone to throw. It's easy to see myself in the role of Achan in many areas of my life. It's easy to see all areas of my life where I've taken what was not mine and where I allowed uh, my own desires to take over and ascend against God willfully. I identified with that. And as we walk into the abundant Christian life, how do we go on after experiencing that kind of failure? And what I want to say to, to, to you as the church, as the body of Christ, is, is that while AI, the story of AI and that loss in that battle and what happened afterward, as much as it is a warning about the damage and, and pain and, and horror that sin brings our life, it's not something to be trifled with when, when Paul wrote in Romans, the wages of sin is death, that was not a new thought. That doesn't just apply in the New Testament. 
That has always been the case and it still is. It, it causes death in every facet of our lives. It brings death of relationships, death of futures, death of, of dreams, and death in so many different areas. Sin always comes at a cost, and we know that. Where do we go from here? What do we do when we've blown it? Our sin has cost us big. Life's never going to be the same. There may be relationships that ended. Resources were lost. People were hurt. Doors got slammed shut. Dreams were destroyed. Yet you're still here. You woke up this morning, and, and you're, you're still alive. Where do you go from here? And the response, I believe, of Israel in this moment, and the response of God at work in this is a blueprint for us in these moments of failure. And so I believe how God is going to show us, I believe he's going to show us in this passage, how we can sort of make a comeback into what he really has for us from this utter and colossal failure. And so as much as it is a warning, I hope that this will bring hope into your life. Because if you're sitting in the valley of Achor right now, in the valley of trouble, and you can still smell the, the, the pain that brought in your sin's life, what I can't say is that I can guarantee that the circumstances of your past will change. But what I can say is that you, in the power of God, can get up and move on into the future that God has for you. And you can turn the very place of total defeat in the power of Christ into a place of utter victory in Christ. Isn't that an awesome, awesome message? Let's look at what God has for us in this. And, and I'm just praying that God will speak to every one of our hearts because, uh, I, wow, you would be, I would be naive to think I'm the only one that has felt this. So let's look in, in uh, chapter 8. Of verse 1 in Joshua, Joshua 8, chapter 1. I'm going to read a big chunk of this, and then we'll kind of break it down. So here we go. It says, And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear, and do not be dismayed. This is the response of the Lord. It says earlier in this passage that the anger of the Lord had subsided, and had moved on, because they had dealt with sin the way that God had asked them to. It's beautiful. It says, do not fear, do not be dismayed. Sounds like chapter one, if you were with us, doesn't it? It says, take all the fighting men with you and arise, go up to Ai. Well, Ai was the battlefield where they just lost. He says, see, I have given into your hand the king of Ai and his people, his city and his land. And you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its livestock you shall take as plunder for yourself. Lay an ambush against the city behind it. So Joshua, and he gets to this, God just gave him, well, first off, he gave him the word to go. He told him where to go, and he told him how to go. Okay, he heard from the Lord. This is so important. You want to get up out of the valley of trouble in your life? You're not going to do that without listening and without hearing from the Lord. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of God. Joshua heard the word of God and was able to move forward back to that place where he had just failed with faith, knowing that God was going to deliver him. That's a beautiful thing. I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's look at verse, verse 3. It says, Joshua and all the fighting men arose to go up to Ai, and Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of valor and sent them out by night. And he commanded them, Behold, you shall lie in ambush against the city behind it. Do not go very far from the city, but all of you remain ready. And I and all the people who are with me will approach the city. 
And when they come out against us, just as before, we shall flee before them. And they will come out after us until we have drawn them away from the city. For they will say, they are fleeing from us, just as before. So we will flee before them. Then you shall rise up from the ambush and seize the city. For the Lord your God will give it into your hand. And as soon as you have taken the city, you shall set the city on fire. You shall do according to the word of the Lord. See, I have commanded you. So Joshua sent them out, and they went to the place of ambush and lay between Bethel and Ai to the west of Ai. But Joshua spent that night among the people. Awesome battle plan, right? We're going we're gonna to draw them out with a small group of men, and they're going to be confident because they just beat us in battle. They're gonna, we're going to lure them out of the city, and we're going to make them chase us. But we're going to have a whole bunch of men behind it who are going to run into the city when it's undefended, undefended, set it on fire. That'll set panic to both the city and the men outside the city, and we'll have them right where we want them, and we can defeat them. So that's the battle plan. So Old Testament tends to repeat itself, so hang with me again. Verse 10 says, Joshua arose early in the morning and mustered the people and went up. He and the elders of Israel before the people of Ai. And all the fighting men who were with him went up and drew near before the city and encamped on the north side of Ai with a ravine between them and Ai. He took about 5,000 men and set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai to the west of the city. So they stationed the forces. The main encampment that was north of the city and its rear guard west of the city. But Joshua spent that night in the valley. And as soon as the king of Ai saw this, he and all his people, the men of the city, hurried and went out to the appointed place towards Arabah to meet Israel in battle. So they leave the city and go out to battle the Israelites. But he did not know that there was an ambush against him behind the city. And Joshua and all of Israel pretended to be beaten before them and fled in the direction of the wilderness. So all the people who were in the city were called together to pursue them. And they pursued Joshua. They were drawn away from the city. Not a man was left in Ai or Bethel who did not go out after Israel. They left the city open and pursued Israel. Verse 18. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Stretch out the javelin that is in your hand towards Ai, for I will give it into your hand. And Joshua stretched out the javelin that was in his hand toward the city. And the men in the ambush rose quickly out of their place. And as soon as he had stretched out his hand, the, they ran and entered the city and captured it. And they hurried to set the city on fire. So when the men of Ai looked back, behold, the smoke of the city went up to heaven. And they had no power to flee this way or that. For the people who fled to the wilderness turned back against the pursuers. And when Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had captured the city and that the smoke of the city went up, then they turned back and struck down the men of Ai, the ones who were out. And the others came out from the city against them. So they were in the midst of Israel, some on this side and some on that side. And Israel struck them down until there was left none that survived or escaped. But the king of Ai, they took alive and brought him near to Joshua. Verse 24, when Israel had finished killing all the inhabitants of Ai in the wilderness where they pursued them, and all of them to the very last had fallen by the edge of the sword, to, of the sword, all Israel returned to Ai and struck it down at the edge of the sword. 
And all who fell that day, both men and women, were 12,000, all of the people of Ai. But Joshua did not draw back his hand with which he stretched out the javelin until he had devoted all the inhabitants of Ai to destruction. Only the livestock and the spoil of the city Israel took as their plunder, according to the word of the Lord that he commanded Joshua. So Joshua burned Ai and made it forever a heap of ruins as it is to this day. And he hanged the king of Ai on a tree until evening. And at sunset, Joshua commanded, and they took his body down from the tree and threw it at the entrance of the gate of the city and raised over it a great heap of stones, which stands there to this day. Joshua led the people to a mighty battle in the very place of defeat. I want you to see this next part. This is beautiful. This is their response this time. Verse 30. And at that time... Joshua built an altar to the city, the God of Israel, on Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the people of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, which you can find this in Deuteronomy 11 and 27, an altar of uncut stones upon which no man has wielded an iron tool, and they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings And there in the presence of the people of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. And all Israel, sojourner as well as native born, with their elders and officers and the judges, stood on opposite sides of the ark before the Levitical priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Half of them in front on Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, just as Moses the servant of the, the Lord had commanded at first to bless the people of Israel. And afterward, he read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel and the women and the little ones and the sojourners who lived among them. I realize that's a lot of scripture, but I hope You enjoyed hearing that story, and you kind of soak in that if you were able to keep your attention. Quick summary in case your mind wandered. Here's what happens. Joshua hears from the Lord a strategy to go back to Ai, right? And the whole deal is to lure them out, kind of lead them away from the city thinking they're going to win, and then lead the bigger army that's behind the city to run in and take the city. And when it's on fire, both will panic and run toward the other and will be able to strike them down without any kind of normal defense. And that's exactly what happened. And while it's troubling to look at and, and the scope of this message doesn't let me deal with the questions that arise when we read about this kind of action that happens, we dealt with them a little bit a few weeks ago. We talked about Jericho. And if you struggle with that and see how God commanded in them to to go in and do what we just read. I understand that struggle. I understand that challenge. I understand the, what, what may happen in your heart when you see the, the horror of what happened in very real warfare. And it's nice to gloss over that. I don't mean to, but in the scope of this message, we have to keep moving on what's happening. But if you do have concerns and questions and don't know how to explain some of those things, uh, first off, I'll tell you that God is higher uh, than we are. <laughs> and he is just and he's holy and he's good. Uh, but there are ways we can approach that from Scripture. If you and your family want to deal with that, uh, come see me, and I'd be happy to help you through with how to process what we see here. But I, I don't want to take too much time there to get lost from, from what I believe we can learn from this. And first off, what I see here very quickly is this, this, uh, this lesson. How do we move on from our failure? I'm going to give you five quick things. I'm going to go as fast as I can. I'm not going to hang out very long on these. 
So, so if you're taking notes, here's the first one. Deal with your sin harshly. Okay, when you're sitting in the Valley of Acor, you've got a choice to make. You can sit there and you can coast and you can give in and you can just sit there and mourn what was lost. But what God has told us to do is to deal with sin harshly, to get rid of it. That's exactly what they did. And in this new covenant, we are to repent of our sin, turn away from it, and receive forgiveness by faith. And when we do that, we're able to move on past that sin. Now, we understand that if you're in Christ, Jesus took the penalty of your sin. And so no, he's no longer holding. If you're, if you're in Christ, he's no longer holding his wrath over you, wanting to judge you for what happened. His role shifts into the role of a loving father who will discipline you. And even though sometimes that is painful and difficult discipline that we do not like, he will. But we understand that his love for us is there. Christ's forgiveness, we have that from the penalty of our sin in dealing with him. But that forgiveness and that justification that we have for our sin, where we can experience intimacy with God, that relationship being restored to him, that's a beautiful thing. But the problems that our sin caused in the past will still linger sometimes. You still have to deal with what's there. Now, God will help you deal with those things, but understanding that the challenges that that were caused, what was lost, may not return just simply because you repented of your sin, the circumstances here. Now, I have great comfort for you because in heaven, you'll be restored everything that you ever lost and then some way more than we could ever possibly imagine and deserve. And God will set things right and you'll get all the joy and everything you could possibly imagine. But God often uses the circumstances and the challenges and the mess that we make to lead us forward into more intimacy, more relationship, more understanding, and more faith in Him. See, God is all about that. He uses the circumstances that got messed up in the failure to turn us into a good thing. He says He gives us beauty for ashes, and He's able to do that even in this situation. We understand this, though. We have to deal with the sin. If you want to move into the abundant and a victorious life that God has for you, you need to get justified from that sin, be forgiven from God, but you can't sit there and keep repeating that or you're going to find yourself returning back from another lost battle sitting in the Valley of Achor. You have to deal with these kind of things. And so the way we deal with that is to get it out in the open, just like what happened with Achan. They had to dig it up where he had hidden it, that brought it out into the light and dealt with it harshly. And that's exactly what we have to do in our sin. See, the whole community dealt with Achan's sin, and that's how we have to deal with it in our own lives. I'm not saying that you confess every sin to every person here, but there is a community of believers, and we're having those at the beginning. They're called small groups, where you can go and find maybe even individuals in that small group, if not the whole group, where you can go and have their help and do life with them inside of real community. Now, this is great, and it's awesome, and we need to come here together and worship. But everyone's sitting here facing me, and you're not having time to interact and respond. In a small group where you're connected with other believers, you have opportunity to share what you're struggling with and get people in with you and help pick up stones to stone that sin in your life and deal with it out in the open. As long as it's a secret, you're going to struggle with it. I honestly believe that God never intended for us to deal with our sin alone. It is just too tempting. It's too deceitful. It is absolutely insidious. It makes me think, we were talking a little earlier, and somebody was saying they put Lord of the Rings out on Netflix or something like that. Yeah, we were talking about it. 
And, and this is a perfect example of this. If you've ever, I don't know spoilers here, but if you've ever seen the end where they've had that, and I'm not going to, if you understand this, great. I'm not going to recount the whole movie. Many of you have, though. Where Frodo carries this ring through the whole movie, right? But the ring belongs to the ultimate enemy of all the people in Middle Earth and whatnot. I'm such a nerd. Uh, but, <laughs> but listen, when it comes down to the moment where they spent 13 hours of your life, if you watch the movies, <laughs> trying, to get this, trying to get this ring destroyed in the heart of this mountain. And here's Frodo standing at the ledge with holding the ring over the edge of the lava, getting ready to destroy it. And he's by himself, and he's got his friend, talking about Sam, he's like the best, we love him. Sam, Sam's like, destroy it, throw it in. If you need a reenactment of this, Joel can do it for you. He can do all the voices, so go find him. He'll, uh, you want, we'll just play the soundtrack behind it, and you'll feel like you're there. Okay, but anyway, so... And this, this like, battle ensues because he turns around with fire in his eyes. And he'd been, like, loyal and faithful. But at that moment where it's, like, destroy it, he can't. It's like, he turns around, even to Sam, he's like, it's mine. I'm going to keep it. And Tolkien, who hung out with C.S. Lewis, I believe meant very much for us to learn this lesson from that scene. Is that in that moment where you're there and you're trying to destroy it, you just... It takes, it takes a community. And it took a whole messed up scene. In fact, Tolkien, it gets destroyed by accident. None of the characters have the ability to, to actually let it go. And here's the crazy thing is that, you know, Gollum loses his life to destroy what was, what was there. And there's a gospel in every good story. You find the gospel because that's what we're made for. That's why we love those stories. That's why we write those stories because we somehow know that we need to be rescued. It's always there. Go find any of your favorite movies and find the gospel in them. This is the story we're made for. Hollywood knows it. We know it. Deep down in our hearts, many don't want to admit it. But bottom line, this is the story. We can't let it go. Christ took it. He took it and destroyed it. Where it now no longer has to reign in our lives. But we struggle at that moment of destruction. You've all been there, right? You went to the sermon. The pastor said, do this. And, and this is dangerous. And you went and you went back to that place of defeat and you sat there and you thought, am I going to let this attitude, if I'm going to let this habit, am I going to let this addiction, am I going to let this idol rise back up in me? And so often we can think of moments where we said, come on. Right? If you think you can live the Christian life by yourself, and you can stand and destroy that thing by yourself, you're mistaken. First off, it's got to be Christ. But Christ in you together is how he chooses to deal with sin. Confess your sins one to another, that you may be healed. There's a secrecy that the enemy loves to keep it on. I am not for you airing all your dirty laundry all the time to everyone. Don't trust everyone. It's a bad idea. Don't misunderstand. But there needs to be some people in your life that you can come and say, I need you to walk with me. I need you to, to help me to pick up a stone. And we're going to stone this thing and set it on fire. Right? Number one, if you want to leave the valley of trouble, you've got to deal with your sin partially. You don't make a treaty with it. You don't bargain with it. You don't try to manage it. 
You don't try to do it less, you kill it. Right? The enemy will work 24-7 to deceive you on that. But it's just true. And deep down, none of us will argue with that. We know. Second thing, though, moving on to happier thoughts. <laughs> oh, you <feel> good? Stop <laughs> in it. Lord of God, man. It's, it's like a double-edged sword, right? It's, it's hard to hear, but it does surgery in our hearts. And so, whew, so I'll take a deep breath. Say, yes, Lord, if you will help me, I'll, I'll obey. Here's the thing. You get to that moment, though. The sec- second thing is move forward under God's command. If you want to leave the valley of Achor, leave the valley of trouble, move forward under God's command. Same as chapter 1, you've got a choice between fear and dismay and defeat and depression. You can keep your eyes on what you lost. You can keep your eyes on what you destroyed. You can stand over that pile of stone in the valley of Achor forever, mourning what was lost. But if you want to move on to victory, you got to get up. And you got to move forward under God's command with the faith and strength that he's given you, knowing that he is strong and you're not. And when he commands you to go back in that battle, you can't be like, well, I just lost there. I know I can't win. God's like, well, I didn't lose. (laughs) And I'm going, and I just told you I'm going to give you the king, just like I did in the other one. When God says go, you go. And you do it his way. He gave him a battle plan, and he went for it, and he did it. You see, here's this principle we've got to know. Man's ways lead to man's results. You can just write that down. You're on the hook. When you make the decision to do it your way, you're on the hook for your own results. Okay? If you're super talented in an area, you might be able to wing it, pull it off solo, and get some, some decent performance out of everything. But I'll go ahead and tell you that God's ways, this is better, God's ways leads to God's results. And our struggle is whether or not to trust his results versus ours. We want to take control, and we want to fix it our way because we may believe it in ourselves. Or we panic and don't do anything because we have absolutely no faith in ourselves or faith in God, and so we sit paralyzed in the valley. One or the other is the mistake the enemy wants you to make, to, to, to sit there and say, well, I can't, I can't, I can't, or I can, I can. Right? You, you see the difference? And both of them are, are a mistake. It's he can, he can, I can, but he can I'm weak, but he's strong, and he said I can win, so I am going to take up my sword. I am going to go. God's ways leads to God's results. So here's what we know. The principle of the harvest that Jesus talked about is always true. Think about it. For a farmer, you, don't have to, you, you know this. You reap what you sow, right? Exactly what you sow is what you reap. You don't plant corn and get tomatoes. That just doesn't happen. You, what you reap, you sow. But you always reap later than you sow. So... The results are not immediate, and this is dangerous because with sin, we're sometimes the last one to know how far we've drifted, and it's taken root in our life before that little leaf sticks up above ground, right? You reap later than you sow, and then finally you reap more than you sow. The principle of the harvest is true with how we behave. Now, the amazing thing is that we know that God has delivered us from the penalty of sin, and so we can look forward to heaven and know that. But this life now, God has intended us to understand these things and to walk in wisdom. That's why he gave us the word. That's why he's told us to avoid certain things because there is an abundant life that we can have and as, a, as a Christian, and there is a defeated life we can live as a Christian. And what we want is to walk in that abundant life. So first thing, deal with your sin harshly. Second thing, move forward under God's control. Third thing, go all in. I'm going to move fast here because I think this just speaks for itself. They sent part of the battle 
a part of the army the first time. They didn't have enough respect for what they were going against. And this, they sent everybody. And I'll say, go all in. Don't halfway deal with the thing that God, this defeat in your life, don't halfway deal with it. Go on with a well-thought-out strategy and overwhelm the enemy under God's power. A half-hearted attack may lead to the very same result. Get up in advance. Go all in. That's the third thing. I'm going to move quickly here. The fourth thing is, is let, let your victory when you win, because that's the cool thing. When you, when you go in under God's strength and his power, you're going to win. Isn't that beautiful? That's a tough hurdle for a lot of us because we look back at these patterns in our life and we're like, not going to win. And God says, you're going to win. Crazy. But you got you to gotta let that go because ultimately you're saying, God, you're wrong. God, you're wrong. He's never wrong. He doesn't lie. It's not like he's abandoned you. It's not like he didn't know you were a sinner when he brought you into Christ, right? You know that's how you got here. You, you were a sinner. You were faithless. God gave you faith. God brought you in. He made you his child. It's not like he was like, wow, they're an elite, awesome person. They're just a little bit of sinner. I'll save them, and they'll be able to finish this out. No, God saved you, and it was all him. And your sanctification, you becoming like Christ, was all him too. And so, I mean, it's not like you have the power to save yourself. Same thing, you don't have the power to go into the victorious life by yourself. If you try to do it by yourself, you will lose. But in Christ, we can. We can go in. So when you, when you win, that's a cool thing. Get that in your head. When you win, let that victory lead you back to the cross. Now, what do I mean by that? I want to take you to this cool picture. First off, I'm going to contrast what happened with Jericho. Jericho, they went back. They got overconfident. They said, just send a little bit of the army out there. Didn't pray. Didn't seek the Lord. Didn't talk to people. Just said, yeah, y'all just go wipe that out. Be back tomorrow. And uh, we'll move on to bigger bigger fish to fry. They didn't have any respect for it. Didn't, didn't do it in, in communion with the Lord. Didn't understand there was sin in the camp. And this picture is drastically different how they responded. And so, so here's, here's the thing. I want you to catch this. They go back. I don't have time to read all this. But they go to this place in Shechem. And they stand between these two mountains. Gerizim and Ebal. Okay? Now, this isn't the first time we see these two mountains in Scripture. Okay, Moses, you go back, and I don't have time to read them, go back to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 11, Deuteronomy chapter 27. He gives them this plan. He says, when, when you go into the promised land, and after you've, you've crossed the Jordan, when you're there, I want you to go to this spot, Shechem, right between these two mountains. They're about a mile apart, and you're going to see them on either side. I want you to go. It makes like an amphitheater if you're, if you're there. We know right where this is now. You can go there. It's like a little amphitheater in there. And what I want you to do is I want you to build an altar of uncut stones. Okay? No human effort needed. Just stack them. I did it. Put an altar there, and then I want you to make peace offerings before me. And when you do this, I want you to do this. I want half of the nation to stand on Mount Ebal. And over there, I want you to place the law. I want you on a stone with plaster. I want you to inscribe the law on there. And that's what they did. They made this. And they, they wrote the law on, in plaster on Mount Ebal. And the Levites stood over there on this side. You can imagine being on two slopes of the mountain where they kind of meet in the middle. Mountain over here, mountain over there. And on Gerizim, I don't want you to put, I don't want you to put the law. But those people, they'll stay over there. And here's what he says. I want you to read the law. And in between is the altar, right? I want you to read the law and the curses, the Levites, over here on the mountain that's cursed. 
Mount Ebal. And on Gerizim, I want you to read the blessings of the covenant that I made with you. He said, when you obey and you obey fully, I will bless you. But if you do not obey every part, all of this law, which Israel agreed to this, they said, we will obey all of this law. We are strong enough. Moses said, you're not strong enough. But they agreed to this. They said, God will do everything you say. And the Levites said, if you don't obey, there'll be a curse there. And over here on Gerizim, the other half of the nation reading out, there's blessing when we obey. And here they are. And this is it. This is how we have to advance. It's the fifth thing. Advance in view of the cross. Advance in view of the cross. This is the fifth thing. Because here's the deal. If you can imagine this, you've got the law and the curse and blessing on either side. And there's error for us as believers on both sides of this issue. When I tell you to advance in the Christian life, I can tell you it's all you and you'll find it by obeying the law. God will bless you and you can get your head down and all you can see is the law. And you'll think, if I obey the law, then God will bless me. And I, and I want to tell you this. You have not obeyed all of the law, and you will not obey all of the law. And that is absolutely why we are all, the wages of sin is death. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are all well planted on the valley, on the Mount Ebal. All right? But there's this whole other thing where God wants to bless us. And while... In this picture, Joshua sacrifices lamb, a peace offering right in between God's justice and his mercy. I want you to look forward. I want you to think ahead. When Jesus was on the cross, that was just a foreshadowing in Joshua of what really happened. And Christ stood with both hands out on either side with God's justice on one side and his mercy on the other. And God satisfies his wrath by pouring out his judgment on Christ so that we could experience his mercy. And he's surrounded on either side. You met Achan, who was a thief. Here at the cross, he's surrounded by two thieves. And guess what? We're all Achan in that story, right? He's surrounded by two thieves. One thief cursed him. Cursed Jesus. If you're God, then blah, blah, blah. But on the other side, there was another thief. Both were thieves. The other thief says, remember me. And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. Listen, y'all. The answer to how you advance into the promised land, that we will avoid legalism, you'll avoid license, is to advance in view of the cross. This collision between God's grace and his, his, his judgment his justice and his mercy. And if you'll walk in that, his grace will empower you towards obedience without moving into legalism. His grace will empower you to obedience without getting lazy, soaking in, well, God will keep forgiving me. The sight of the cross and how he sees sin will propel you into obedience and you'll walk in grace and love, proclaiming the, the greatness of God rather than the greatness of me. If you try and do it on your own, you will be lonely. If you succeed, you'll be self-righteous. If you fail, you'll be self-loathing. Both sides of these mountains lead to pain. But right in the middle is the cross, and that's where we leave on. We're all thieves. You can respond by faith to Christ, and he will lead you, lead you into what he has for you. It goes back to the gospel. Isn't this beautiful? Listen, God saved you by his grace, and he's going to lead you into victory and abundance by his grace.
And that's why we can all go. Not just the strong. You're invited. If y'all would come, I want you to, to, to bow with me and let's pray. If you would stand your feet, we're going to just respond with a short, brief song. I, I just want us to respond to this. This God is so good. Father, we come here and God, we've, we have sinned and we've experienced the difficulty. Even as Christians, God, we've seen challenge and we want to move on from the valley of trouble into this abundant life. So God, I pray that you would lead us to do it your way. That you'd encourage any heart that's feeling defeated and you'd raise them up and give them courage. Father, that those who are proud, you would humble us and lead us to a place of humility before you. A courageous humility. Active humility. And God, I pray that you'd be glorified as we advance and view the cross. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for us. And thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. I pray that you transform us in light of it. In Jesus' name, amen. We want to thank you one more time for taking the time to listen to these messages that God's provided our fellowship. We believe he's doing something special among us and would love for you to be a part of it. We hope that you'll take the time to come and visit us in person someday soon. And we invite you to visit our website, covenantcommunitylj.com. There you'll find information on how to contact us if you have a prayer request or if there's a specific way we can minister to you and your family. Until then, God bless you.